If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome to your Labor Day edition of Bo Snurdly's Rush Hour here on WABC New York. If you want to be part of the program today, yes, we are live and we're taking calls. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Some of us have to work on Labor Day, right? Not at the beach hanging out, but if you are, enjoy it. You know, the weather's supposed to be in the 90s. If the weather forecast is right, almost so, I don't know. Anyway, Labor Day today, we will hear later on from our resident historian, Dean Karianis. Uh Dean comes uh, to the program every holiday, every major holiday. We talk about the history of whatever day it happens to be. This day is Labor Day. Uh, Dean worked with me uh, at the Rush Limbaugh Show for about 25 years. And Dean is an author on his own right. He's a columnist with the New York Sun. And he runs a website called HistoryAuthor.com, which is really amazing. And his books, he and his wife, his wife is also an author. And they do some amazing books, not just on history stuff, but uh, on cuisine, things like that. So I want to pick up where the mayor left off, talking about immigration. But also there are some other things in the news uh, one of the stories in the news is this attempt by progressives and liberals, Democrats, to block Donald Trump from the ballot. They're claiming and using, as you no doubt have heard, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which they say disqualifies Trump because he tried to, he tried to start an insurrection. And under the... Under the Constitution, he can't run, can't be on the ballot. It's a facetious argument. But they are moving full steam ahead with this. They will stop at nothing, nothing, to try to A, keep Donald Trump off the ballot, B, try to interfere with the election, as some of these endless persecutions, Georgia, Washington, D.C., New York, are going, they are telling you loud and clear that they are so afraid that he will get back in 
they are willing to do any and everything to try and stop him. Leonard Green wrote an op-ed in the New York Daily News, Desperate Migrant Times in New York City, call for Desperate Migrant Measures. And uh, what Mr. Green starts off with is the notion that since we're throwing spaghetti up against the wall, how about using some of New York City's vacant office space to help the out-of-control migrant population. So why not just use the offices that are laying empty because people haven't come back to them or because businesses have moved from high-tax, high-crime New York to other states where they don't take their lives at risk and where they can keep some of their own money. That's my thoughts, by the way, not his. Recent reports put the amount of available commercial real estate in Manhattan at about 100 million square feet. 100 million square feet available in Manhattan alone. That would be like building 40 Empire State buildings and having them all empty. That's how much commercial space is available. Story in the New York Times last Friday said New York's office late August were under 41% of their pre-pandemic occupancy. Mr. Green says it, it seems almost criminal that even 100 square feet of space could sit empty when so many people, so many people, migrant or homeless, are in need of a place to live. Chicago has nearly 60 million square feet of vacant office space. Los Angeles, 44 million. San Francisco, 18.4 million. It's growing in San Francisco because businesses are leaving there by the score, too. Vacancies in Seattle, five times greater than they were in 2009. Why? 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 Why are all these people leaving these cities? Why are so much space in all of these blue cities available? But that's not the thrust of this article. The thrust of the article is to say the surge in office vacancies has generated calls to convert commercial space into much-needed housing, or at the very least, into fun workplace features like bars or roof decks. But what about asylum seekers? Certainly, they are better suited for some of that space than meeting sites and football tables. If the idea sounds simplistic and naive, it is. But so do some of the other ideas being tossed around, like shipping containers and prefab units on city streets. It's all part of Mayor Adams' mantra to think outside the box on this issue. Throw some spaghetti on the wall. See what sticks. I I have another solution. Mine is not so much spaghetti on the wall, but it's a simple solution. Don't buy the premise. If you have illegal immigrants in your city... A much more simple solution 
would be to send them back to their native countries, respectfully. Repatriate them back home. Just say, oh, sir, madam, I'm sorry. You're not in our nation legally. We welcome you. We'd love to have you. Honestly, we would love to have you if you follow the rules. If you go and apply to come to the United States legally and that. Now, let me just say this about that, because. That's easy for me to say. If you're trying to get into the United States legally. As many migrants, as they are called, would like to do. That is not an easy process. Already, the asylum list of people that have already applied for asylum is over five years long before they could even get a hearing. Five years. Now, you think about that for a moment. That's just the asylum list. If you want to get into the United States legally, you are facing not only the cost of it, but the time, because our court system simply cannot handle the volume. And why can't we handle the volume? The waiting list for people that are trying to get here legally, you hear reports. I don't actually know the number. But you hear anecdotally people say, well, you know, I've had someone that's been trying to get into your country for 10, 15 years now, and they can't get in legally. Well, one of the first things that needs to be done is to actually open enough immigration courts to handle the the caseload. Oh, gee, but that would cost money. Well, everything else that you spend costs money. You don't mind you don't mind spending billions of dollars over and sending it over to Ukraine. You don't mind sending billions of dollars on COVID relief. You don't mind printing up money we don't have to spend on all sorts of things. So why would you as a government knowing that we have an immigration problem not spend enough money? so that the courts could clear up their backlogs and those people who wish to apply to come to America legally can at least have their cases heard in a timely fashion and have a yay or a nay. At least do that. Why is that so difficult? And why is it that neither the Democrat or Republican Party insist that we actually staff our immigration courts enough to handle the backlog? Why is that? But then the second part of it is, if you have people here illegally, repatriate them, send them back to their home countries and tell them, Instead of, oh, well, let's, let's tie ourselves up in knots. Let's house them in schools. Let's throw people out of their nursing homes and put them in nursing homes. Let's do, no, let's not do any of that. Let's simply repatriate people to their country that don't belong here. Legally. 
And I hate those kind of phrases because when you say, you don't belong here, you sound like you're attacking people. And that's not what I'm trying to say at all. People that have broken the law to come here should be repatriated back to their country and made to wait in line. And we need to clear up the line and stop making people wait for decades. I guarantee you, I guarantee you this. I'm going to get in trouble because some of you are not going to like what I'm going to say next. You're going to say, oh, you sound like one of those liberals. But I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. If we had this kind of backlog and all of these quote-unquote immigrants were coming from wealthy countries across the pond in Europe, let's say, and we had this big backlog of Eastern, Western European nations, and we had a backlog of five years, and they were trying to get into America, many of them skill workers, Democrats would be tripping over themselves to spend enough money to let them in. The fact of the matter is, James is going to get in big trouble for this, and I apologize in advance, because I know this is going to sound harsh. And you're going to be like, what, have you turned into a liberal? No, but I'm just seeing things through. I just can't lie about what I'm seeing. That's why. The fact that many of these people are coming from Mexico and South America is a contributing factor as to why this problem is not fixed. If this problem were coming from Europe, there would be a whole different spin on this whole thing. The fact of the matter is, This problem is perceived as a problem where you have too many African immigrants trying to get through. You have too many Mexican. You have too many Guatemalans. You have too many Nicaraguans, too many El Salvadorians, too many people from Peru, too many people from Venezuela. And it's like, uh uh-uh, we're not going to fix this. Now, at the same time, you can say, well, then, then, then why are they just letting people in illegally? Because they cheap labor. Because of cheap labor, they want to use them for cheap labor. That's why. Now, if some of you are offended, I'm sorry, that is my, and if you can talk me out of this point of view, I'm willing to be talked out of it. I am willing to be say, okay, James, that's nonsense. But this is my honest perception. If this were happening from European nations, we would not nearly be seen. Now, has it happened in the past from European nations? Yep, it happened when Italian immigrants were trying to come in, and Irish, in the 1920s and 30s. And we had the same kind of sentiments. And back then, they had all kind of horrible names for Italian and Irish immigrants. But should, should and can this problem be fixed? Absolutely. And we need to clear up the immigration courts. 
800-848-WABC. Bo Snurley's Rush Hour. Yeah. Birthday today for Bubba Knight. Gladys Knight and the Pips. He was one of the Pips. James Golden. Ooh. My favorite songwriter has another take. She says because it would interfere with the drug trade. Uh-oh. Truth bomb delivered. Boston Early's Rush Hour coming back. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hour is on the air. Attention, Ditto Heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Rush on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yeah. On this day, nineteen sixty-eight. The Beatles started recording promotional videos for two songs, Hey Jude, and this one, Revolution, at Twickingham, such a good British word, Twickingham Studios. The vocals are recorded live over pre-recorded instrumental tracks to get around the British Music Union Band. The unions, even then, and even over there, on lip-sync performances. Unbelievable. Dean Karyanis is with us. He is the force behind HistoryAuthor.com. That's his website. He's a columnist with the New York Sun. And for 25 years, Dean was one of the web producers at the Rush Limbaugh program. Dean, he is our historian, by the way. Amazing. History is an author. He and his wife. Uh, Dean, welcome. How are you this Labor Day? I am doing good, James. Thanks so much. It's always nice to be able to talk with you and your audience on a holiday. So I think I'm doing pretty good, although I will say I would have preferred to have Bubba Knight because I was just reading about him yesterday, not even knowing it was his birthday, rather than the Beatles, but I'll accept that. But other than that, I'm doing perfectly great. I love your bumper music. It's just the best. Oh, thank you. We played some. I heard it through the grapevine with Bubba Knight as our first mm-hmm. bumper. Yeah. Now, look, by the way, you have been through this immigration process that I I know we're going to talk about the history in that today. But before we do that, I don't know whether you agree with me, Dean, or not. 
And it's okay if you don't. I mean, I said this is my perception, and I'm willing to be talked out of it. But it is my perception, Dean, that if this immigration crisis we are facing now was a crisis of people trying to get here from some European nations instead of the nations that are Mexico, South American, Central American nations, primarily African nations, and some of the others, that it would not nearly be the problem that it is today. There would have been some solutions to it. I don't know whether you agree with me, but you've gone through the immigration process with your wife, right? Yeah, and she's Canadian. She's Irish-Canadian. So you're talking, I'm Greek. I'm pretty swarthy. When I work the streets of the city, people will speak to me in all kinds of different languages. They'll speak to me in Spanish. They'll speak to me in, in Italian. Uh, they'll say salam alaikum to me. And so as she, though, stands out very much, as, as I think what you're getting at there, somebody who's from one of these European backgrounds. And for me, when I, I look at this issue, I, I definitely think along the same lines as far as the effect, because I think there's a lot of people that benefit from having this be a big crisis. And they're really happy that they're going to welcome in people who are just happy to be here, honestly, who aren't going to make a complaint. They're going to be very compliant voters and very compliant at businesses. They're never going to file something like an OSHA request, whereas I think if they were getting somebody from a country in Europe that had that similar background that wasn't going to take that, I think they would be forced to do it. And for one thing, probably those people would have more language skills. And for Kathy and I, when we would go and wait online, and any of your listeners can do this, if you want to go to Newark, New Jersey, you can take the path there any morning at 3 a.m. If you really want to see this, I've never seen any, any politician on the line, but people start lining up literally at 3 a.m. to get in for a meeting. If they have, they have a problem, they have an unscheduled meeting, they start lining up at 3 a.m. outside there. And, you know, James, there's people from all over the world there. There's people from any country that you could name. But, and the one thing you don't get is anyone cutting in line. And you don't get any violence. And there was a young guy there, and I heard them calling him Spike. And I, and I realized pretty quick it's because he looked just like Spike Lee. And this, this young guy gets online every day. He has about the first or second spot at 3 a.m. And then he sells his spot for 20 bucks or whatever someone will give him for it. And to me, when I, when I listen to all this stuff, I, I think of the, the dignity of waiting on that line. I mean, you know, it'll, it poured rain one day. And Kathy, I, I let her sit in the car. I held the spot there in the line. People bring lawn chairs. You're waiting for this chance to do it the legal way. And to me, the fact that there's no sympathy for, for anybody who's on that line trying to do it the legal way. And when people like John McCain, uh, uh, he's no longer with us, but he was the most famous one always saying, well, they're, they're paying their taxes, see? It's like, well, yeah, if you steal my car and you're putting gas in it, you know, those, those, that doesn't mean that you're, that you're here legally. You're still violating the law. And nobody has ever gone and just taken the simple effort to go to that line, to all those people waiting there, some don't have the, the ability to speak the language, like, of course, my wife did, and speak English. They might have to hire a lawyer. They're not, they're not educated enough to look at the law, but they're all waiting. Not one politician ever goes there to those people in line and says, well, this is why we need to give some people an easier path. They say there's no path to citizenship, right? right? Well, <laughs> I'm here to tell everybody there is a path. It goes through Newark, if that's your port of entry, and it's hard. But it's still a path. It still exists. It goes through your consul in your country. It goes through the legal immigration process. And it'd be great to, to change it, but we can't just ignore laws we don't like. And I think that's what's happening here. And because we have 
a bunch of folks that are coming in right now, this wave of immigration is people who don't speak the language, who aren't going to make a fuss, who are very happy just to to be here and have their asylum and not complain about things like the kids in cages. When's the last time we heard about that? We know it's still happening. The story blips up. They check the occupant of the White House. They say, well, this doesn't do us any good, and they ignore it. So I, I agree with you on, on that part of it. I think I think it's a wider goal, though, and a bigger picture, why they, why they ignore them in a way that they wouldn't if it was a more educated, more vocal population coming from somewhere else. Dean, that's just great insight. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, ask you to stick around, and then when we get on the other side of the break, let's talk about Labor Day, what Labor Day means right now politically, and from a cultural standpoint in the United States of America. And uh, we'll see where that goes. WABC. BG's Take Us In, 1976. BJ's were at, were at number one, number one. On the United States singles charts with this one, it was their third number one in the United States. Of course, you know what it is. You should be dancing. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And you know, today's birthday, the big birthday today, the biggest birthday, it's Mrs. Z's birthday today. That's right, ready. 1981. Beyonce enters. American singer, songwriter, dancer, actress. Started out, of course, with Destiny's Child. I don't know how many Grammy. 22 Grammy Awards. 22. Called the Queen, the Queen Bee. I remember my godson telling me, one of my godsons, Beyonce's the greatest singer ever. She's the greatest female singer ever. And I looked at him, I'm like, are you serious? Are you, are you serious? But, but, I, let me stop there. I just, no, she is the best marketed singer of all time. I thought Madonna had it wrapped in terms of marketing. This Mrs. Z, there is nobody, no Entertainment Act, not even the late MJ that was marketed like Beyonce. And I'll leave it there. Greatest singer ever. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, Dean, I don't, Dean. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I know. Oh, the Beyonce right. people go nuts, man. But I just, greatest singer ever. Please. Well, you know, it reminds me, you said about the marketing, it reminds me of the story Rush used to tell about when he was new to the business and he learned all of these artists, everyone was saying they had to talk about. And he said at the time it was Springsteen. He said all of a sudden overnight, he's on every magazine and he's 
he's out at 2 a.m. at some bar and there and there are reporters there. He said, well, how did how did they know he was going to be there? He said, and that's when I learned it was a PR department that all, a lot of these singers rely on, on PR departments to tell you they're the hot new thing, not not to take away from Beyonce or anybody in particular. But yeah, it, the days I think when you got ahead on just merit and, and it's bad. To, I think it's it's harmful to people who are detracts from people who do have legitimate talent because we're such a cynical age because there are so many people who rather than be the best just hire a pr firm to tell everybody you're the best right so right. much a much quicker shortcut than actually working and developing your craft and singing at those bars as billy joel says where the microphone smells like a beer that line in piano man and, and crafting the the lines and the lyrics you have someone else do that and you just just look good do what we tell you We'll create some PR, some buzz, some spin. And I, I think that that's the, the larger point of that as far as it goes and, and who's the greatest. And you're entitled to your opinion. We're all, we're all going to have a different opinion on who's the best. Exactly. Or the, yeah, among the best is what I, because when you start trying to narrow it down to one person in the, in the music world, oh, yeah, right. Good luck with that. So, yeah. Dean, Labor Day, give us a little history on this Labor Day holiday that, we're, that, that some people are celebrating today. Yeah, well, to me, I love that it starts in New York. It starts in New York. It's the first parade in 1882. I wrote a column on this last year at the New York Sun. And this this uplifting spirit that it had just really struck me because I think we think back to those days. We've all gotten the Hollywood versions of how horrible the labor problems were and how badly people were treated. And this really brought everyone together, 12,000 strong People were let off of work despite this idea we have of evil robber barons at this point in the Gilded Age. And it just was a chance for the city to come together. And it was so unifying. And what a what a stark difference. What a stark difference this was in 1882 from that story that you sent me from the L.A. Times about people protesting and, and trying to just get their voices heard. Apparently, they created this new thing, the voice gap, which they feel they don't have at work that. They're getting raises, but that's not enough. They want to be heard more at work. And it mostly aimed at Walmart and at Amazon, companies like that. But at this point, when New York City has that first parade in 1882, people have been working towards that for about 12 years. And they haven't been working with bitterness or, or with anger or with all the rhetoric that I think we associate with it today, because, of course, there are those PR firms again, right? You're not going to get a lot of retweets online by just being the nicest guy you can be. But this tradition kicks off there. You have 12,000 strong, great parade of working men, as the son called it, marching with bright banners and emblazoned sentiments. They're waving American flags. They're wearing costumes. Bands are playing. The sidewalks are just packed with people on this two-mile route from City Hall to Union Square. You have men, women, children. Everybody is just falling in line in a parade. It's it's a little bit the opposite, I guess, when you've seen, I'm sure, the military uh, the NYPD funerals or firemen funerals we have in New York City. And you always stop along the line there on Fifth Avenue when they take them down the fall and then there's a parade. Well, this is a different sort of parade where you weren't asked to just sit on the side respectfully, but people would just join in and they were given off of work. Their businesses were closed, bricklayers, clockmakers, all of these people that I feel Labor Day when I look at the holiday at the end of the summer, it's completely evolves from just this wonderful day, despite what they said was oppressive heat of people getting together and not looking to divide, which I think is so much of what we do today. 
And even the word labor, I mean, you and I worked for Rush for a long time, of course, and we both had that we both had that mentality. I'm sure that we picked up that a lot of people made unions about divisiveness. And they can do great right. things, certainly, you know. And uh, and so I think that's what I try. When I always try to be positive about things, I try to look at this holiday and say, well, there's there's positives for it, too. I mean, even Russ used to say, he used to joke that he belonged to a union, and it always made him cringe to say, my union. <laughs> because in right. the 60s, they had that negative idea. But today, unions at Gallup's poll just the other day, it has a record high uh, amount of support. And so you hope that they live up to that and that they – they're worthy of that, I guess you would say. And to me, that's what I think of when I think of Labor Day. It doesn't become a holiday for the whole country. That That is also a gradual process. 1894, Congress declares it a federal holiday, but just for federal workers. So it takes a while for all Americans to be able to enjoy that three-day weekend. But it happens eventually, and we're able to enjoy it today. And I like to thank everybody who went out there in that heat. <laughs> 140 years ago and just enjoyed that day and said, hey, let's, let's end the summer with a nice long weekend. Not something like Memorial Day that, that's heavy, not something like July 4th even that is, that is very solemn for a lot of people. I know yourself not included, but we have Labor Day where, <laughs> hey, it's literally do nothing, right? It's literally, hey, you work hard all year, hopefully, but let's just relax on this one day, get a little three-day weekend. And if you're lucky enough, be able to talk to the great audience at WABC and James Golden. Wow. Thank you for that wonderful history <laughs> lesson. Now, you know, it, but the, you know, the union influence back in, in earlier times in this country, of course, was a lot bigger than it is today. I mean, up uh, there were times when it was 30% of employees were unionized. Not so anymore. The biggest, in yeah. fact, growth in unions are governments, government unions. Is where the growth is. Uh, but by the way, there are going to be some significant la- labor issues. There are some strikes going on in uh, Los Angeles right now. And the UAW is threatening a big one. They are, they're looking for a 46% pay raise. They want a 32-hour work week with 40 hours of pay. And this is going to be an interesting case. And there are a lot of issues that they're having, too, that are dealing with electric cars, which take don't they're not as complex as gasoline powered cars to make and thereby might use less employees. And there are a lot of friction points with that. I'm glad you mentioned the article that I did send you because it was. Um, and that was in the L.A. Times. Think is uh, you think trying to get a raise is hard. Try asking for that. And that's what unions are saying. There are more employees who want a voice in their companies. They want they want to have a say in how things are run, which I think is kind of a a new a growing phenomena in American business. And I wonder if yeah. it's going to be successful. These people who are not satisfied with just working, but not to tell the bosses and the management and the owners how to run the company that they work for. What do you think? Yeah, the voice gap and this whole we just I, I'm just so tired of people naming and inventing new things and talking about them. But it was it was a very clickbait headline. And I saw it was, I think, originally posted on this uh, United for Respect website. And it it just seems so divisive. And they use the term workers, by the way, 23 times. And that's one of those terms. 
that it just it sets your teeth a little bit on edge because you think it's so dehumanizing and it's so, it's so communist so, workers of the yeah. world unite yeah <laughs> yeah it puts everybody down and I, I say sometimes to my wife i'll say the horse in animal farm he that poor thing was the, was the that poor horse rather worked and worked and worked and he was a he was an allegory for the working men under communism and boxer ends up what he ends up working himself to death believing in this revolution and then he ends up sent off to the glue factory when he can no longer work in that allegory and i, and I thought too of something that I think people who maybe have that knee-jerk reaction to unions one way or the other, don't forget it was the Solidarity Union, everybody out there, that broke communism, that started the fall of the, of the Eastern Bloc, right? Boom. And, those, and so anybody who's telling you, all well, the unions are the first step, or that, hey, that's the way to go, hey, that's what uh, Lekwalesa was out there fighting for his right to unionize. When they said, no, no, you don't need that now, you have, you have communism. So I think that that's an interesting point, too, to remember. It gives us a little broader perspective. Dean, where can people find you? And thank you for being with us today. Where can people find you? They can find me at nysun.com, and they can find me at History Dean on Twitter and at HistoryAuthor.com. Thank you very much for leaving, for uh, plugging my website there. I appreciated that. I actually put out a new show today. on. It's called His Majesty's Airship. It's a great story of adventure, and I think we could so much use that today by flying these big dirigibles like the Hindenburg. You know how that story ends. This one, it's amazing that it was forgotten by history, but Forgotten No More, S.C. Gwynn is the author. So if you want to check that out, it's, a, it's also a video on YouTube, the video version of my interview. Go ahead and check that out. So you can find me everywhere, and I hope again one day soon here on Bosner Lee's Rush Hour. Thanks for having me. Dean, always a pleasure. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley, here with you. Bo Snurley's Rush Hour this Labor Day. Oh, yes, another birthday. Ronald Lapreed. Bassist for the Commodores. Has a birthday today. A little bit overshadowed by Queen Bee, but nonetheless, we celebrate you too. On WABC, coming back, your call's coming up. So don't go away. You see a big stone and a bottle. Yeah. That's why I'm easy. I'm easy like Sunday morning. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We learned today, sadly, that Steve Harwell, frontman for Smash, Smash Mouth, died today. He was only 56 years old. Yeah. 
Walking in the sunshine. Hey, let's get to the phones. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, presents Rapid Phones. We start with Al in Yonkers. Thank you for waiting. Welcome. How are you, Al? Good, Bo. Nice to speak to you. You know, Bo, quickly, I just wanted to say I've been vacationing in Cape Cod since the mid-1970s, and the new national news is they're going to send the migrants up to Cape Cod. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, this is all wrong because the Cape in the winter right now, it gets dark, desolate. A lot of these uh, police departments don't have the manpower if there's crime and all. And uh, even my street, there's no street lights. So there's always the potential now with putting migrants all over Cape Cod that you have a lot of people, you might have home invasions, and you might also have a rise in burglaries. That's what my concern is. Oh, shame on you, Al, for thinking that there could be a rise in crime related to quote-unquote migrants. For shame, for shame, for shame. I hope uh, they do take care of that uh, for you, Al. Thank you. Frank in Boston, Massachusetts, or as I like to say, Baston. Hi, Frank. How are you? Good, good, thank you. Your first man was absolutely correct. And I wanted to ask you about about Albany, New York, if you knew whether Olmsted's beautiful park in the center of Albany has migrants. So I, understand I do not know. I do not know. But all I know is now we're getting suggestions from the leftists that we should house them in, house migrants in um, unoccupied commercial space. And, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? All of a sudden, and by the way, you guys are in a state of emergency up there in Massachusetts because you took in 6,000 families. Wow. Imagine what they've been dealing with in in Texas for decades. Frank, thank you. Gomez. In Scranton, Pennsylvania, you've been waiting. Thank you. What is the point you want to make? Yes, Bo, Bo, thank you. I'm Hispanic. It takes a, you have to take a path of physical, psychological, criminal background, and you have to learn basics, basic English in order to become an American citizen. We're going down the drain, and we're going to be flooded more and more, and we're going down like, like the Titanic, Bo. Thank you, Gomez. I so appreciate your call. And you're dead on right about the standards. That look, if you are a New York resident, you have to get vaccinations for your kids if you want to send them to public schools. If you just came in this country illegally, you don't. Go figure that one. Suzanne in Red Bank, New Jersey, you're up next. James, just want to say that uh, you were saying if, they, if people were coming from uh, wealthy European countries, the Democrats would find a, a quick solution. I think um, I just wanted to say I'm, I'm of your Eastern European background. And I know family and friends who uh, I know was one lady waited five years, paid thousands of dollars the right way to try to get through legally. So I don't I think that there are groups that get preferential treatment, but certainly Eastern Europeans, unlikely unless they're from some oligarch family. But uh, no, I, what I was to... trying to say, Suzanne, is that if the numbers, if they were trying to come in at the numbers that we see now, millions were trying to get through, there would be a solution. And so I just want to amend that and just I'll give you the last word on that. Go ahead, Suzanne. 
Thanks. Well, maybe you're right. But I think, uh, you know, I know we see, you know, Irish people working at the summers at Spring Lake, you know, which is a wealthier community. So the groups that want to get through, I don't want to pit one group against another, but you know, maybe I was looking at the census, you know, the German groups seem to be the largest group uh, still in um in the United States. I think the other thing that I saw when we had uh, relatives trying to get to visit is that there are uh, the problem of on the non-U.S. side when people try to apply the legal way is that gifts or bribes are expected, you know, when it comes in the process, you know, what are you willing to do to, to, uh, you know, hopefully that's like yes. non-communism, but these people that are coming over the border, they're coming from uh, totalitarian regime countries. So that's the problem. And I've said, I've said for years, you know, bring them over. You're not going to solve their problems coming here. You're just importing their problems. We need to help them in, in the countries where they come from to improve their their conditions. Oh, I love you, Susan. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you so much. I'll hear from you again. Thank you. Charlie in Westchester, you're up next. How you doing, Bo? Listen, I'm just sick and tired of having this dictator, Beijing Biden over here, telling me, cramming these people down America's throats, okay? Telling me that I worked hard all my life so I can give them a free ride. No, I'm sorry, man. Not happening here. Not happening at my address. I can't stand this whole thing. They came in here for votes only. And this rat guy, okay, and the whole party... All right. is doing this is all a flim flam. OK, and that's thank you, Charlie. Thank you so much for the call. Appreciate that. Let us go to Joanne in Westchester County. Joanne, how are you? Hey, Bo, I'm fine. Got to talk real quick. First of all, I saw you on TV last night. I was switching channels and I said, oh, my God, here's my boy. Oh, my God. There you go. I saw you. So I put the face with the with the voice and the everything else that I love about you. And uh, that's that. Now, number two, you were spot on with what you said about the, uh, let's not even call them migrants, let's call them illegals, because they're absolutely illegals. Okay? That's number two. Um, the other thing is, I uh, oh, Whitney Houston, and then be- before her was Dionne Warwick, top singers. Are they kidding me, Beyonce? She's good. I love her. But uh, Whitney, Whitney was the all-time best. I think, do you agree? Tell me real quick. I don't think it was. I love Whitney, but I'm going to say no, not even Whitney. She's up there. Now, Whitney, Whitney's up there. But I mean, you got you, you. It's a big list and it goes along. I couldn't even start the list today. Thank you, Joanne. I appreciate the call. Mario in Rockland, you're up next on WABC. You're right. You can't pick a number one. But as far as Beyonce goes, she was number three with Destiny's Child. The Oops. Two girls were better. Oops. I remember I went with my mom to see because my mom wanted to see Dreamgirls and Jennifer Hudson sang rings around Beyonce in that movie that starred Beyonce. I was like, oops, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> Thank you, Mario. Appreciate it. Let's go to Adam and Maniola. Happy Labor Day for you, sir. Also, thank you. Tell all those politics with being scared to death before a crime happened is not happening in New York. Leave the migrants alone. Thank you. Okay, leave the migrants alone. That's it for us. Time is up, my friends, ladies and gentlemen. May God bless, protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones. Always a pleasure. Love and gratitude for your being here with us today. God willing, we are back tomorrow. For Boston Early's Rush Hour, the Tuesday edition. And we'll look forward to that and see you then. Bye.